Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. All right, listeners, hands up who has so many craft supplies that they have no room to do craft. Are you one of these people, Tara? No, I am not, but I can imagine there are hands going up in buses, in office spaces all around Australia, possibly the globe going, yep, that's me. Absolutely. And definitely around the globe. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's so exciting to see people from all over the world listening to our podcast. That's something that I get a real thrill out of. And and I sent, uh, sent Tara um, little messages saying, Belarus and Portugal and Chile and India and I get all excited about people listening in other countries so hi everybody else apart from Australia welcome to our podcast and thank you for listening we love it um we should do we should do a shout out every week to our uh, to to one place that we have listeners so you've done a done a few today so next week we'll we'll do a shout out to another another country so let us know where you're from Send us a message and let us know where you're listening from and we'll give you a shout-out. Yeah, that will be really cool because there's so many different countries and, um, you know, all over the place and in every continent now. So um, it's, yeah, really cool. I don't know if we've got anyone in the Arctic or Antarctic, but the rest of the globe I think we're pretty much covered. Okay, all right, close enough. <laughs> if anyone knows but, yeah, someone you're right. living in Antarctica, send them a link to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see it pop up on the map um, yeah. in my stats. That would be awesome. Yes, but, yeah, you're very right. I'm, I was exaggerating when I said every continent, but close, 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 close. close. So craft rooms, um, this is something that I work with a lot. I have loads of clients with craft rooms and craft supplies that have gotten a bit out of control and it's really quite common it's it's quite common because it's not a difficult space to get cluttered up it it sort of happens quite easily because of the nature of the stuff uh, and the nature of the activities that you do with the stuff so uh, it does get very easily overrun um, and usually over full as well And craft supplies just aren't, like generally speaking, they're not uniform unless you're just a knitter and all your Mm. balls of wool or yarn are the same size. You know, craft generally you have bits and pieces of all different sizes and shapes and textures and need to be stored in different ways. So I think craft rooms can be really hard to organise because you can't just buy 10 boxes stack everything in your boxes and pop it away neatly because things Mm. don't fit or don't work you can't find them yeah there's big long things and then there's tiny tiny little beads and everything in between and um yeah they they are very hard to organize and the more craft activities you do the more different types you do the more stuff you have and the broader range of stuff that you have so it becomes more and more difficult and most people who are crafty do tend to dabble in more than one craft Mm. and I think as well a lot of people that I know that are crafty don't even craft in their craft room or don't necessarily even have a craft room they have a space where they store their craft stuff 
but then they might um, do the the activity or do the crafting at their kitchen table or on while they're sitting on the couch or outside mm. somewhere. And so um, although there, there might be a home or a location where they wish they store the stuff, quite often those items get traipsed around the house. You start a project while mm. sitting on the couch in front of TV or something and then when you've, you're halfway through, you put it down there on, on the coffee table and you might not come back to it for a week. So instead of things going back to the space, quite often um, when I've been in people's houses, find craft bits all over. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I'm guilty of that as well. So I've got um, a, a sort of a, it's like a tote bag thing. That's not the right way to describe it. You know those like a cloth tool bag with all mm-hmm. pockets that go around it. Um, that I've got one of those for my pens and my paints and my paper and stuff like that. And that just lives in the buffet cabinet next to all my plates and platters. And it comes out yes. and it sits on my dining table while I work. And quite often it will stay on the dining table overnight because I'll think, oh well, I'm I'm going to be you know, needing pens and stuff tomorrow. And so I'll just leave it on the dining table. And the good thing is that it's got a place to go because when we want to eat, I can just put it in there. Although when someone else clears the table other than me, they'll put it on the floor instead of putting it in the buffet cabinet. And so then it ends up on the floor. And if I don't move it from the floor, it sort of starts to to get a bit cluttery then. But, uh, yeah, you do you do pull the things out and move them around uh, quite a lot. And I've worked with you know, loads of clients as well where we've had to collect craft items from all around the house because it's been convenient for them to use them at that spot, um, but then it has stayed there as well. Mm. I think those people that have got craft rooms, they have that convenience of having a home for everything, but craft rooms also become dumping grounds for mm-hmm other things well I guess they're a luxury space aren't they it's a bit like a spare room which some you know has a use sometimes but but quite often there can be months where it's not being used so it becomes a convenient spot to dump stuff and I think Mm. craft rooms are the same it's a bit of a luxury space so if you have something that you just don't need in your kitchen or in your lounge room right now you can put it in the craft room because that's that's Mm. not an essential bit of living space that's a luxury space yeah, and initially it doesn't inconvenience anybody being in the craft room, but after a while the craft room can get so full that you can't use it anymore. Mm. And and I have, you know, loads of clients who have so many things in their craft room that they can't craft in there anymore. And so they miss out on doing craft because they need a table for it or something like that. And the only way to scratch their creative itch is to go shopping for more craft stuff. And so then, you know, they perpetuate the problem. And I can understand why. I mean, it's great fun shopping for craft things. If you're a crafty person, it's a delight going and finding new things. And I totally get that because, you know, I walk into office works and go straight to the pen section. But what it means then is that you're just adding more and more and more and uh, it, it gets to the point where, you know, you just there's no room um, to do anything at all and that craft just never gets done anymore, which is really sad. Yeah, and I think I think it's we quite often talk about things happening in cycles and not working out what happens first, but I think quite often having too much stuff and having it in a chaotic manner or not well-organised leads to craft spaces not being properly used and utilized which then leads to people buying more stuff because Mm. 
like you said, that um, fulfills their creative needs rather than having to get in their room and create something. They go and buy Mm. stuff to create and then that goes in their room, which then becomes more cluttered Mm. and then that cycle just goes on. So um, if you're one of those people and you're thinking, they're talking about me, they know my dirty (laughs) little secret, (laughs) this is the point where we call you out and say stop, stop the buying and uh, get in your craft room and try and sort it first because then you can get back to doing the craft rather than just purchasing the item. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's easy to understand why people put off going into the craft room to sort it out because, like you said, it they're really hard to organise because there's all those different kinds of items. Um, and also creative people can find it hard to categorise things. I'm working with someone at the moment in her craft room and I've been surprised at how decisive she is, but occasionally it does pop up where she's like, oh, see, I would use that for um, weaving, but I might also use it for crochet as well. So I don't know which category to put it in. And that will come up a lot for people as well is that trying to decide how to categorise their things so that they can remember where they are later. And when something has multiple uses, it can be a little bit tricky. Um and another thing that, that creatives also struggle with is that balance between pretty and practical. And they look that you, um, I can guarantee you that anyone with a craft room that is cluttered and not working at the moment has looked on Pinterest for inspiration for ideas on how to organize their craft room. And there are some beautiful craft rooms out there. But trying to then get to that point from where you are now, it seems virtually impossible. And I think that, you know, sometimes that creativeness and that need to have it looking beautiful can sometimes get in the way of actually starting at all. Uh, so that can be a bit of a problem. Um, and another thing that, that makes craft rooms difficult to organise is the amount of unfinished projects. That's another thing that crafty people uh, often are afflicted with is this inability to finish things before they start something new because creative people love the whole newness of things and they love being able to start things and they love that excitement and once you're 80 percent of the way through an activity it can lose its it's gloss and something else will easily attract you then and then you end up putting the other one aside for a while thinking, oh, yeah, I'll finish that later when I'm in the mood and it it often doesn't happen. And you've talked about the unfinished projects that you had as well, Tara, and how you got control of those. Yeah, that's it. And I think for me I've got to now I have to be in the right space to start a project. My, my hurdle is starting because oh. once I start then and everything's out because I guess I have things, you know, I have my items. So my all my upholstery stuff is all neatly packed away um, in a plastic container on a shelf in the shed and my paints are there and things like that. So for all my furniture, um, I'm not even going to say restoration. I don't really restore. I just play my furniture <laughs> playing that I do and um, reupholstering. That stuff is all out there. So I have to, because it's an effort for me to get it out, and it can be messy. Quite often it's an outside project um, mm. until I get to the fabric bits and then that might happen inside. Um, but I'm like, am I? do I have enough time today? Am I going to create enough space in my day to get a good chunk down, <laughs> enough mm. that it's worth getting anything out? And quite often 
that's the answer is no so it stays there so once I've started a project then you know I've got no problems finishing it my problem problem is starting it but I think yeah like you said a lot of creative people um and I I feel like it's almost the same with collectors as well people that like collections Mm. and have more than one collection the excitement is quite often in the acquiring and the starting because it's all about Mm. um the excitement of what might be, what this project might develop into, what it might look like at the end, how amazing it is. And that hope and inspiration um, and excitement is all at the beginning or at the acquiring phase. And once you're a good chunk through and you've realised, you know, what the end product, you know, it's in sight and you can see it, Mm. kind of the excitement level does dim (laughs) a bit. And then it's Mm. like, okay, cool. Oh, wow, look at that new shiny thing that I could make. Um, mm. and your attention's diverted. So how yeah. do you how do you then get a handle on unfinished projects, Beck? How do you um, recommend that people um, get get things finished before they move on to the next thing? Um, I, I, I guess the best way is to set boundaries and limits. And mm-hmm. you know, I had this problem. My mum my had this problem, and um, she's going to be listening to this and chuckling away. And and she's actually probably going to be thinking oh no she's she's going to call me out on on this but my mum quilts and she rang me one day and she said she couldn't find this quilt that she was looking for that she needed to finish off for a friend's birthday and I said she was just talking about how frustrating it was looking for it and I said well isn't it just where you keep all of your unfinished projects and she said don't be ridiculous I've got so many that I can't fit them all in one space. So I have to stash them at different spots throughout the house. (laughs) And I said, well, there's your answer. I said, you need to finish all those projects so that you've only got a few and you can fit them all in the one spot. And then you have an unfinished project spot. And then you don't ring me up in a panic when you've lost something. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things that I just recommended to her, and and she did do this, is to just have a period of time. And I, I suggested a year, but it only took her six months, I think, of just finishing stuff and not starting anything new and just getting that backlog of unfinished things done and then setting a limit on how many you're allowed to have at any one time so maybe and the limit is totally up to you and how much you know space you've got Uh, but I sort of said to mum maybe three unfinished projects would be a good one to have and then she's not allowed to start any projects unless she finishes a couple of those or she has a you know a maximum of three unfinished projects in the in the spot and that's a really good way of of either finishing things uh, or not starting things and getting yourself overwhelmed is to have that limit of, of unfinished projects and obviously you know you have to be careful that you don't say okay well I'll have four unfinished projects but then you have four of each craft and you do 12 crafts or something like that so you're still going to have a high volume so you're going to have to look at how much space you have uh, and that's a really good way to set the boundaries go all right well I've got room for one tub here of unfinished quilts so that's all I'm going to be able to fit in there when that's full I have to do some finishing before I can do any more starting I guess as well like lots of things you can always find yourself a bit of an accountability partner if there's someone you craft with or you know has a similar thing, maybe you could do, do make a little pact that neither of you will start any new new craft projects for six months and then hold each other to account on that or create mm-hmm. a, a Facebook group with, um, you know, no new craft for six months or something and <laughs> put a, a whole idea. stack of your friends in there and then encourage each other to finish projects, post 
the the finished project on there, show a picture, people will encourage each other and it might help get you across the line to get some of those things done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once you bring some other people into that that sphere, quite often it will spur you on to get your get your stuff done. Yeah, so then I, if if we're back with those people that are looking at the craft room and think, okay, right, I can't even find my unfinished projects. <laughs> I don't I need to declutter. Where do you where do you start with that? How do you how do you recommend you start decluttering um, that space? Probably I think you have to face the fact that you might need to cull. And mm-hmm. I've said that to clients before, whereas I've, I've said to them, the only way you're ever going to do craft again is to get rid of half of your craft stuff. And the idea of that is quite horrifying initially, but at the same time, a lot of clients sort of, once they get over the initial shock of the idea of that, they say, well, actually, there's probably heaps of stuff in there that I were from crafts that I used to do and I'm not that interested in anymore. And, and there's unfinished projects that they've got no intention of finishing. And so I think that if you go, go into it with the mind of getting rid of as much as possible so that you can simplify and, and actually get some craft done, and, and that's the, the key is to remember I'm getting rid of craft so I can do craft, and whereas sometimes the idea of getting rid of something means in your head that you can no longer do that, but this is the opposite mm. in this case, and most clients will actually finally get to do some craft once they get rid of half of their craft supplies. So I think culling is really something that you have to get used to the idea of doing because if you can't fit in your craft room, then it's obviously a volume issue. You can't just go and buy a new house. You have to actually look at the volume that you've got and addressing that. And once you've once you've got used to that idea, then you can just go through systematically and make sure that nothing's staying in that room that you're not passionate about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you ever advise people to give up a entire category of crafting? So if people and quite often um, creative people love to dabble across the spectrum with a whole variety of crafts, do you recommend that people just uh, limit the amount of supplies they they keep or do you ever suggest to people maybe you need to just pick three of the 12 activities and focus on them okay you just answered your own question um because yes that's exactly what I say is yeah. you know what are your favorites and what what are you passionate about right now and what are the things that you want to be doing in the future and usually they'll pick about four or five favourites and then when we find supplies that are to do with things that didn't come up on that list, then they can let go of those. So, yeah, yeah. pick a few favourites and just realise, you know, you can't, I mean, you can do everything but just not all at once and mm. trying to do everything often ends up meaning you do nothing at all and so I think if you just pick a few favourites, they become more special and you are actually able to do them because you have the space to do them and you have a volume that is easy to organise, which makes it then easy to do those activities. So definitely find a limit and just do your favourites. And I usually say, depending on the amount of space, you've got three to five. Uh, like I was saying, the client that I'm working with at, at the moment in her craft room, she has a craft room and a studio, and she has oh, something like 12 different things that she does, I'd say. And But she has the room for them and so she doesn't really need to cull. We, at the moment we just need to organise and she doesn't actually have to cull anything because she has the space. But if you mm-hmm. don't have the space, 
you need to make a decision about you know what it is that you really want to be spending your time uh, doing. I had a um, a client quite a while while ago that had many many different creative outlets, and we hit a bit of a, a speed bump with her trying to. When I said, you know, this is when was the last time that you undertook this creative you know pursuit, and she couldn't tell me I said well why don't we let that go and we she found it really hard and I said it's not we're not saying never we're just saying not now like pick a pick a season right now might be the season for your watercolors and um so that you because you've got heaps of that that's what you've been interested in lately so just make this the season of painting watercolors and then you know you can come back to the crocheting maybe crocheting is something you do more of in winter when um, you want to sit inside and be cozy and you you do your watercolors during summer Um, not necessarily the season matching the seasons but you Mm. you know your season of of painting might last for five years it's not saying that you'll never crochet but she didn't have that she had very little space and um, it, we were saying, really, you've got to pick one activity because it was she basically had three drawers available yeah. for creative materials. And so I said, pick one and then it will run its course and maybe in a few years you'll be over the watercolours and then you bring the crochet stuff into your life and let go of the watercolours. Mm. Um, let things ebb and let things flow. And you're not saying never, you're just saying not right now. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's not, it doesn't mean never. And it, it can be very difficult to part with those things. And there are, there's a few different reasons. I mean, firstly, they're, they're really pretty <laughs> and they're really cool mm. and they're really useful. Um, but one of the biggest blockages that people have to cull and craft things um, that I see is how expensive that they were and, and how much they're going to cost to replace if they decide to pick that up later. And, mm that's a fair point because craft um crafting stuff is really expensive especially things like scrapbooking supplies and stuff like that can be really expensive so you know obviously for me in my with the way i see things in my opt out mode is don't opt in to any crafts that are expensive in the first place um that's a really mm-hmm. good preventative measure but also understand that you might have spent a fair amount of money on this, but that's then going to help you spend more wisely in the future if you then have to cull some of this stuff. And if you have limits around the amount of space that you're going to be taking up, in the longer term, getting rid of that stuff that you accidentally spend a lot of money on and never used is going to mean that you spend money more wisely in the future and you're not going to make those mistakes again. So you, there will be a bit of a loss I mean, some things can be sold and so sometimes you can recoup some money, but it is a bit of a sunk cost and you have to sort of look at it like, well, I either, I've already spent the money, I either ditch the stuff and get to do some craft or I keep the stuff and I never do my craft again because I can't get into my craft room. And so Mm. essentially by giving away that stuff, you are almost buying the ability to do craft again. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously investing in a lesson at the same time because, you know, you'll buy a little bit more wisely. But that whole idea of, you know, you, you can do everything, just don't do it, you just can't all do it all at once, means that you might that cull some things that you then have to buy again later. But that's okay like because you've been able to do your craft between now and then, you know, whereas if you hung on to that stuff, you wouldn't even be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a... 
there's an opportunity. If you can't or you feel bad about selling your items on or you feel like you're not reclaiming your costs, then maybe don't attempt that and try and give the the gift of craft to someone else. So if mm. um if there are items that are brand new still in their packaging, quite often you'll you'll find them still in the spotlight or the Lincraft bag <laughs> yep. in the corner of the room. <laughs> Put together a basket or a hamper with a whole lot of crafting items and give it to someone you know or give it, um, find someone, a local charity. We I used to work mm. at a women's crisis centre and these were women that had um, fled their situations, sometimes domestic violence, sometimes other reasons, sometimes there were refugees coming from other countries and um, and they have nothing and mm. we would have people come in that would say, oh, I'm cleaning out and I've found a whole lot of um, yarn and knitting needles and stuff I want and it's brilliant because these people that have nothing certainly don't have the money to spend on craft supplies and you give the gift of being creative to someone mm. else and it is really appreciated so maybe you can't recoup the money you spent but you can get a really lovely warm fuzzy feeling out of passing it on to someone that needs it and I'm sure mm. there are plenty of charities um, and groups out there even you know schools and centers like that that um, old folks homes that probably would love to have access to some of that stuff but just can't afford it. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's mm. great. That's a great way to say it too. And and you can share with friends who do similar crafts as well um, if you just want to keep it within your circle. There's loads of ways to share the the stuff that you have and get it, yeah, get it out of your craft room, get it off your floor and um, get it out there being used. Mm. So I had I had a client once who had collected a whole lot of craft activities and I sort of thought I, I wanted to tell this story because I, I think that there might be some people that might relate. But we were, we were sitting down and we were chatting about it and it was just in the initial consultation and she was saying, I collect it all because I've never found my thing and then I keep it because I feel guilty that, that, that it's not my thing. And I said, you know, what do you mean by your thing? And she said, you know, people have passions. They have this thing that they're really good at and everyone finds their thing and I never did. And she said, you know, it might be someone who does quilting and that's their thing and or someone who does painting and that's their thing. She said, I never found my thing. I've tried everything. I've tried lead lighting. I've tried jewellery making. I've tried weaving. I've tried crochet. I've done every single craft there is imaginable and I have all the supplies for every craft imaginable, but I've never found my thing. And I said to her, I know what your thing is. And she said, how can you possibly know that? And I said, your thing is trying things and that's okay. And if you want to keep trying things, then that can be your thing. Your thing is being a jack of all trades. Your thing is being able to experiment with every single craft imaginable and poke your toe into to all of those ponds and, you know, get to experience all of them. And I said, you can keep doing that. But you have to understand that your things are temporary. And so when the the shine goes out of them and you want to try something new, new then it's time to let go of the older ones. And once she, once she let go of the guilt of never finding her thing and turning it into a positive of, well, I'm an experimenter, I, I love to try new things, she actually could let go of all of those ones that she tried before without the guilt 
And then she was also then free to try even more new things because she could do that without feeling guilty Um, because every time she would try something new, she would just feel the weight of guilt of all of the things that were sitting there waiting for her to do and to finish and to continue on with. And she let go of that and and culled it all and then went happily off on her journey um, without the guilt and of, of understanding herself, you know, a lot more. And I think there are probably a lot of people out there whose thing is trying new things and they're never going to find one mm-hmm. thing that they just stick to and do all of the time. And that's okay. Just don't allow it to build up so many things that you then can't keep trying your different new things, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really like that. And I think there's a real lesson in there too about acquiring items if you're not sure if they're your passion. There are so many short courses or Um, community centers that run you know come and try sessions or short courses on Mm. things so for my um, upholstery stuff that I own I I did invest the first time I dabbled I invested in a staple gun but I thought you know what I think it was probably worth about $30 it wasn't a huge investment bought a bit of fabric and I thought well I'm sure I can come out or my husband will stick the staple gun in his shed with his tools and find something else to use it for um, if he needs it um, so it wasn't a huge investment. But then when I wanted to experiment with traditional upholstery um, and it's a lot more involved and there's a lot more tools involved, then I went and did a course. This is while I was living in the UK um, and it went for a couple of days and I used the lady that ran the course. I used her tools and made sure it was something that I really loved and that I would do again before mm-hmm. I invested because it was quite a lot of money to buy all those tools um especially for the traditional stuff and some of the materials that you need and so I think before you before you go head first into a craft and buy all and sundry that goes with it (laughs) you could if you want to try something you go and try try before you buy and then when you're sure that it's something that you're gonna get back to or really get stuck into then start acquiring but before that see if you can borrow things Mm. see if you can hire things um go and try them and uh and then when you're sure then bring them into your home but um, yeah, that's and I mean there 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 are some things that the the cost to entry, like if you're, I don't know, if you're doing cross stitch, you know, it's probably not a lot of money that you expend to give that a go at home. Mm. You can go and spend that money, but if you want to try sewing and you've never sewed before, but you go and buy a sewing machine mm. for two thousand dollars, if you mm. do it and then realize it's not your thing, that's a really big investment. Mm. So maybe. Maybe see if you can try before you buy. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's so exciting at the start that you are tempted to do that, aren't you? Like you're tempted to just mm. go and just get all of the things. And with bullet bullet journaling, which is what I do, is, is another thing that people tend to get a bit overexcited with supplies for and the amount of markers and textures and pens uh, that and, and just and stencils and stickers that people buy for their bullet journaling there and washi tape washi tape I, I i understand i don't even know what that you, is what is oh, it? it's japanese paper tape what? used for decorative so it's like sticky tape so you know magic tape mm-hmm. that's got like that matte finish to it where it's not like shiny sticky mm-hmm. tape and it's easily removable it's a little bit like fabric magic tape not fabric paper magic tape so you can sort of write on them a little bit um sometimes they're papery enough to write on with a biro or something other times you need a marker 
but it's just decorative mm-hmm. tape with all different patterns. So if you think of all the different types of fabric there are out there, you can get like yep. washi tape in that many different patterns and stuff. And people use washi tape to decorate all sorts of things. So washi tape is something that mm. people can end up with you know, hundreds of rolls of washi tape with all the different things and it can um it can get a bit much it can take up a lot of space and it's if you get the good brands it, it can be expensive but it doesn't it's not necessarily that expensive but people who do bullet journaling they'll go out and buy they'll say oh, I'm starting bullet journaling I've gone and bought I've got you know 20 rolls of washi tape and I've bought these three packs of markers and I've bought these 27 pens and this ruler and this compass and all of these things that they've bought and and then three weeks in, they're like, you know, oh, I can't make it look as pretty as the people on Pinterest, so I'm not doing this anymore. And they've just spent mm-hmm. hundreds of dollars on all this stuff and then it just doesn't, it's not their thing. And so, you know, I give the same advice that that you just gave is with with bullet journaling and, and journaling is just, just start off with a pen and a pencil and an eraser and a ruler and then see how you go and get started and then you add gradually add things in and test them out first instead of buying 20 rolls of washi tape because they're all in the bargain bin buy one roll use it for a while see if you actually like having washi tape in your journal or whatever it is you're doing and then maybe acquire a couple more but um definitely don't go buying everything all at once Mm -hmm. so much of this all just comes down to expectations it's like the expectation of what your project should look like, how much fun you should have, the expectation of what your craft room should look like. Mm. There are sometimes, I love Pinterest, but there are sometimes that I'm like, please, people, stop pinning <laughs> or putting up um, pictures of laundries that are so sublime that I would happily sit and have my lunch <laughs> in them. I'm like, my laundry doesn't look like that and I don't want to feel guilty every time I walk yeah. into my laundry because it doesn't look so Pinterest-worthy. Yeah. And I feel like people's crafting spaces and their actual craft items can be the same as well they aspire to meet this standard yeah. which isn't always real yeah, you know sure. quite often it's it's like I walked my um youngest daughter through Ikea a couple of weeks ago and she rem- I'm trying to think there was there was a bedroom or some I can't remember if it was an adult's room or a kid's room set up you know in one of their display mm-hmm. areas and she goes oh why doesn't my bedroom look like this and I'm like well that's because no one lives in this <laughs> yeah. room. People walk past and look at it, but I'm like, no one, if you have a look, there's no um, pens on the desk. Like it's got a beautiful picture of a unicorn <laughs> and, you know, a, a waste paper basket underneath, but there's no pens anywhere. There's nothing actually useful here. I can't see any notebooks. Mm. I can't, you know, and so I was trying to explain to her, it, it does look beautiful. Yours looks pretty good for a room that someone actually yeah, uses yeah. And, and lives in. Um, but sometimes, you you know, it's hard to remember that sometimes these spaces are just put together for inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and or just for the photo. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's all tidied up and beautiful for the photo and then it descends into chaos shortly after. But, yeah, that we have to be careful yeah. that we don't get caught up in that whole thing. And creative people are, are a bit more prone to that as well in that whole idea of, you know, it has to look beautiful. And that can be a bit of a trap. And I say if you're struggling to get your craft room organised because you've got this ideal in your mind, why don't you do it in two phases? So get yourself a little picture in your mind of what it will look like halfway between now and ideal and aim for that. 
And then once you've aimed, once you've achieved that, then if you want to go to phase two and make it really beautiful, you can. But phase one is all about taking control and having the right amount, the right volume of belongings for the amount of space that you have and having them organized and grouped accordingly so that you can actually find what you want when you want it. That's phase one. And that is actually all you need. That's the, that's the, the basic standard of you know just of having things organized and then if you want to go to the next level you can but don't make that your first goal your first goal is to be mm-hmm. organized and in control the second goal might be for it to be beautiful but go for organized and in control first so then when you're organizing and you're going through the process what would you suggest to our listeners is the best way to start storing some items how do you start categorizing Categorize based on where you're going to go looking for stuff. And sometimes you'll find that there'll be more than one category for something. But usually the first one you think of at the time of going to put it away will be the first one you think of at the time of looking. So trust that instinct. So if you've got something that could be used for weaving or for embroidery and, you know, if you ask yourself the question, where will I go looking for this or which one will I go looking for this in, the first one that pops in your head is is usually your best bet. So uh, go with that one. Stick it. Stick things with their mates. And I said this to my client the other day. She goes, who, I said, who would this hang out with? You know, who, what other kind of things does this stuff hang out with? And she said, oh, it hangs out with the scissors. And I said, right, so that's where we're going to put it. So it's all about sort of thinking, you know, where does it fit in? Um, who, who, is, who are its tribe? Who are its mates? Who would it hang out with if it mm-hmm. came to life in the middle of the night? Those kinds of things will help you group things together so that you can then find them all um, later on. And if you need, if you've got no space to put things in their homes, do some temporary homes. Um, for one client, I had a, we had a whole lot of archive boxes that she had used to pack all of the stuff in, and um, when she moved, and then she hadn't been able to unpack them properly so everything got all muddled up so we just went through each of those archive boxes emptied them all out and then you reuse those for all the different categories so there's a jewelry making category there's um the origami category there's the ju- uh, i said jewelry already there's the weaving category and so there were each of those boxes and so then what they weren't going to be the ultimate storage um some of the things were too big to fit in the boxes properly so that lids didn't go on and some things were a bit small so we needed to put them into smaller things first but as a first sweep it was really good because then we could just say all right as we found things we had those little those small boxes available for us to drop them in and then once we get the storage um once we've got the storage and furniture in, we could unpack those boxes into more appropriate storage. But it was a really good first run um, of grouping and sorting to use those small boxes so that we at least had everything organised and grouped first and then we could store it later. Mm-hmm. Um, what about when you've got lots of little things like uh, beads mm. and... I don't know, people that make jewellery and earrings, there's always so many tiny little bits. Have you got any suggestions for good storage for those kind of things? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the, the basic organising principle is store big things in big containers and little things in little containers. Don't store little things in big containers because that's just a recipe for disaster. So the smaller your item, the smaller mm-hmm. the container. And if you can get, like for beading, you can get these, um, I think you uh, tackle boxes have them like tackle trays um, where they've mm-hmm. just got tiny little sections where you can you can put things in and then you can stack those up um, and you can group them by colour or something so you could have a few different ones with with different colours or types in them and separating out 
things like beads like that. Small bags as well, so small um, Ziploc bags or if you've got an eco-friendly version, you could do little fabric ones or something like that um, for storing small things. Clear is best because then you don't have to be too fastidious with your labelling. You know, labelling is important but if you've got something that is clear, you don't have to label and that saves you time. Uh, and it also means that you mm-hmm. can change the storage around without having to change labelling and relabel and, and all of that. So uh, I do like labelling, but I, I think it's a phase two thing unless it's unless you've got a, a box that you can't see inside of. And you definitely need a label then because you yeah. do not want to be opening four boxes to find one thing um, that you want every time you're looking for something. One of the clients I worked with had um, there was a financial barrier to making her craft room look the way she mm. wanted because she wanted a, you know a whole lot of beautiful um, mason jars and things mm. like that to store her beads and items like that in and it just wasn't in her budget and so I said right well let's there were other parts of um, the project that we could focus on and I said call your mum, call your sister, call a few of your friends and tell everyone that every glass jar that they use in their kitchen in the next three weeks, they have to wash or put it in the dishwasher, peel the label off and then give them to you. And so, and I said, we'll revisit this in a few weeks. And we came back and she had a few boxes of just, you know, like the little pesto jars and olive jars and things like that. Yes, they weren't all uniform shape, size. Their lids didn't match. You Mm. know, some of them had Legos written on the top of it or whatever. But um, she, it meant that she had a whole range of clear storage, different size and shape to mm. fit her different different items in and it didn't cost her a whole, she didn't go down to Storage World or, or any mm. of those kind of stores and, and spend a fortune. And you know what, down the track I'm sure she will, she will aspire to that yeah. and maybe she'll start replacing them bit by bit. But to start with it doesn't have to be the perfect, you know, storage yeah, solution. Exactly. It just has to be a way to organize yeah that's right and you know and if you're creative anyway you can you could do something to make them uniform you could Mm. you know cover the lids so that they're all the same or or put you know labels on them to make them all sort of look uniform or something like that so uh, or washi tape (laughs) um but um you know but you're right you know you you don't have to if you aspire to this a certain ideal you might find that You'll, you'll never get to that point. You'll never start if you're only aiming for that point. So having something, you know, in the interim can work really well. Um, and use your creativity as well. You know, use use that that creative thing, gift that you have to create beautiful storage if you want it. Uh, and, and don't necessarily do what everybody else does do what makes what works well for you but there are great tips and ideas on on pinterest and and instagram and places like that that you can do inexpensive hacks for different storage you know you can um my mum my has got her craft scissors on a mug tree you know the wooden mug tree things mm-hmm. uh, and that that looks that looks really nice and i've seen you know scissors hanging from s hooks off a, a bar that's just like a little mini curtain rod that just is along the back of the desk and things are sort of mm-hmm. hanging on and, and it looks really really quite cool and um and it doesn't that doesn't need to be that expensive either so um there are lots of lots of cheap craft hacks that you can find uh, as well that you can um you know customize your space with so if any of you have amazing little hacks for how to store your items or things that you've used or repurposed please tell us about them because we'd love to put a link to it 
on our Facebook page or put a photo in our Facebook community or on Instagram and show the rest of the crafters that are listening what you do. You might help out someone else. Yeah, for sure. So the challenge for this week is cleaning products. So we're talking deep diving to the back of those cupboards under the kitchen sink, under your laundry trough. See if you can find the cleaning products that you don't use that may be half empty or right close to the bottom that you cannot remember the last time you used and find an earth-friendly way to dispose of them. Read the labels. Quite often they can't just be tipped down the drain, so you might need to talk to your local council about the best way to dispose of them but instead of those bottles and bags cluttering up the back of your cupboards find a way to get rid of them and just keep what you use thanks for joining us if you've enjoyed listening we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all of your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered if you would like to connect with us you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via facebook and instagram or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com